Hi, this is George Sandman. I'm the founder and CEO of Growth Drive. Growth Drive is the number one best-selling business advising platform, and this is the Business Advisor Hot Seat. In the hot seat, we have industry leaders and thought leaders sharing their victories and failures, working with business clients, working with the advisory industry. I'm the author of The Growth Driving Advisor, published by Forbes, available on Amazon and Kindle. And in The Growth Driving Advisor, I share proven strategies for leading businesses from stuck to best in class. This episode of the Business Advisor Hot Seat is brought to you by Growth Drive. Growth Drive is the number one best-selling business advising platform with training, tools, technology, and support you need to build a thriving advisory business based on delivering client wins. Growth Drive, everything you need to get the success you want. Contact us today with questions or to schedule your demo. Okay. Well, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, today on the Business Advisor Hot Seat, we are going to chat with uh, my good friend and colleague, Larry Prince of Prince Leadership. And uh, and you'll see, we're going to get into some fun topics. We always do. So, Larry, um, it's great to have you. Thanks a lot for agreeing to uh, to be on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks, George. Look forward to it. And you you make it a little scary when you say hot seat. So, <laughs> good. Let's have some fun. Let's have fun. <laughs> Well, if I ever ask a question that you don't feel like answering, just uh, say pass. Good. <laughs> just say pass. Um, Larry, you I mean, you and I met uh years ago. How many years do you think it's been now? I'm pretty sure it's about six years. Yeah. Yeah. Six years. And uh and and you and I had this conversation and uh, can you take 30 seconds and just describe to people how we ended up meeting. We met. I think you I just wrapped up your vestige. That's right. That's right. So I decided like on a, on a Monday that my work with an organization called Vistage, that I was going to transition to look to do other things. And I say, well, you know, what within my consulting practice can I do differently? And literally the next day you gave me a call. I usually don't pick up when I don't know the phone number. So it was a random number, I think New Hampshire, or, and I, I picked it up. And what happens is this man, George Sandman, out of nowhere, called, and I think we became quick friends within yep. a few minutes. And I said, tell me more. And then I said, I'm in. You know, it took a, like another month just chatting, learning more about mm -hmm. what you do, how you do it, how you, you know, like married up with me, how you marry the analytical mm -hmm. with the strategy, culture, and the emotion of running yeah. a business. And I said, yeah. that's me. Let's yeah, go. It's it's funny because you've ended and it's ended up with you. I mean, anyone who's seen our coffee clutches or been to our certification or uh, participated in the growth drive launch course, you know, you lead the data fuel strategy. That's your, uh, that's your module. And uh, yeah, we've had a, we've had a fun time and, yep. uh, and, and become good personal friends as well. So I'm psyched that you're here. Listen, you know, let's dig into it. We have a we have a series of questions, ladies and gentlemen, that we use to, you know, as rough guidance for this conversation. And it, it really starts with um why do why do clients hire you? What's unique about you that they that they uh, can't can't get anywhere else? That's a good question. And my company's Prince Leadership, and every one of my clients have the same thing in common. They want to grow their business. I just help them define what that definition of growth is for them and that path to growth. 
It could be growing profits and cash flow. George, write off your three dimensions of growth, right in the foundation. It could be the next level up, wanting to expand the size of their business in the market and grow revenue on the top line after fixing the bottom line. And then eventually is understanding the true nature of owning a business is increasing the value of the business yeah. in the market. And so those three dimensions of growth line up directly with what I do to help uh, get there. And the way I get there is first the analytical. Let's really understand what's under the hood of a business and how it runs. Now, how are all the gears, as you like to say, in the engine yeah. flowing? Where does it line up for those three dimensions strong to grow profits, cash, revenue, and value? And where are their gaps and where are people leaving money on the table? And maybe what's killing their their growth as well. So we do that deep dive, but I marry that with the emotional because I know growing up in a family business that the emotion underscores under is is the foundation of all things that these business owners are, are thinking through. The emotion of what motivates them, what frustrates them, what they're concerned about, what they're optimistic about. That's all emotion. Yeah, that is. We can marry the analytical with the emotion then we have a great formula to move forward. Absolutely. You, and you have a you sort of a catchphrase, listen for the emotion, listen for the emotion. Yeah. Yep. And I wholeheartedly agree. How does this, you know, okay, so we can get the thoughts. How does this make you feel? How would you feel if you didn't hit that target? Um, yeah. And do you want to, do you want to bring some of that share a war story maybe where you, uh, where your work, uh, where these concepts come to life in your work? Yeah, absolutely. I'll go back in time a little bit. The first time I ever learned about this was when I was actually young and I watched my father run a business with, with his brother, his older brother. And they ran a cosmetic manufacturing business. And I realized at a young age, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old, spent a lot of time, played hooky a little bit. Dad took me to work. We hung out. They put me on the assembly line for the cosmetic manufacturing. And you could see culture in action. And I didn't know what that word meant, right, at that time. Mm -hmm. But what I saw was there was a spirit in the operations and how people related and how management related to them and how ownership did. And it stood out even at a young age. So that's the first time I realized the importance of people in culture. Mm -hmm. but smart business requires strategy. So this all comes into play when you think about a client I have out in California, I have clients mainly in the New York, New Jersey area, but also throughout the country, including California. And this client is a home care hospice company. They do great work. Yeah, They've been doing great work for years. Mm -hmm. So the CEO was pretty new and uh, they were uh, far from profitable. In fact, they were considering closing. And what we did is we took the analytical deep dive. We really took and look at where they're strong and why they're not profitable. We identified that, and then we honed in not on five, seven things. We honed in on only two things. And one is, how are they going to run the operations better, which really needed work, which includes process and communications, but also the fact that they had toxic people they carried for years. And what was the CEO going to do to change that culture where people feel felt appreciated and understood their role. And that role clarity was key. So one was 
operational processes, and two is people related on role clarity and getting rid of anyone toxic. That needed to be done first as the foundation, which is took about a year or so. Then they were ready. And, and Rob, who's a tremendous CEO, he, you could see, he goes, we're in a good place now. COVID hit and you would think that growth would be diminished or they would have trouble. No, all the competitors did in the market, but they were now poised to grow because they worked on that foundation. And from that, now we were ready from moving from an operational mindset to a growth mindset, even in the face of COVID. And they have almost tripled the size of their business profitably as well. That's it's awesome. That's so, awesome. You know, it's funny. I, I, you know, what you mentioned changing is, uh, you know, are two aspects of the of that first dimension of growth, creating predictable profits and cash flow, and what we call we call the launch pad for growth. And it sounds as though by you know, working on effective senior leadership, people productive and loyal, standard operating procedures, um, you know, focusing on those growth driving objectives, you were able to actually deliver that launch pad that they've now used to to do their moonshot. That's awesome. Very, very cool. Yep. And, they're, and George, they're on to the next phase. They yeah, have now they been plateaued. They're at the next level. They are three times the revenue. They are profitable. They got the right people. There's change always. There's mm -hmm. issues along the way. But they're now ready for that next phase that really understand how to grow to that next level, why they want to grow. You can't just grow because you want to grow. You have to really understand the why behind it and what those commitments are. And that's a part of my coaching and executive coaching of the CEO. Yeah. Yeah. Keep that again, but bring it back to our earlier conversation, bringing it to the, the emotion. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this hard work? Why is every, why, why should everyone pull on the oars uh, in that direction? Yeah. You are in the leadership business after all. <laughs> um, so that went right. Did anything go wrong on that voyage or? You know what goes wrong? The same thing that goes wrong in many companies. People own behaviors. And many of those behaviors are good behaviors. The positive behaviors that help a company. You work with people to, to execute. And there are negative behaviors. And there are people who really can't fit a particular culture or can't sustain behaviors. There's issues in personal lives. I see this is a great example in this company where people's personal lives, including a key employee who got cancer and passed away, and that that tugged on the emotion of the company. It puts takes people off course a little bit as well. It's cold to say that, but it did. And yeah. so then you have at the same time in a the same department another person who threatened others uh, emotionally, and because of that, you have good intentions. But the execution we talk about, because that's what I'm always looking for. I'm always trying to figure out what are they ready and have capacity to execute on. But we map it all out, right? Yeah. We're good at planning. That's what we do. We help bring yep. that discipline. But what we don't remember sometimes that could go wrong is the emotion of the execution from a people standpoint. And that happened a few times here that then had to push a reset button, new people, and then move that into an opportunity to then build the culture even more positive. But mm -hmm. it's, it could set a company back a few months to a half year before you move forward. Sure. 
you know, it's interesting when you bring in new people, you're bringing in experiences from other cultures, which I'm, I'm a huge fan of. Did that play out in, in this case? Uh, absolutely. And now what they, as a part of the culture, is not just the culture of how people interact. It's the culture strategically who you bring in. So now the persona of the type of people, not just the skills and experiences, but the type of person is a part of every interview. And that is something, and I run a program called Hire Well, Live Well for companies, for management. And the first tenant of that program, it's let's think strategically about the type of people, the fit of the type of people you want. And that's what begins that program because you work so darn hard to get here. What, in, in the words of our buddy, Ed Walkie says, what will get us there is not what got us here. And that includes the type of people we bring into the organization. Well, and I don't know if you're willing to talk about it. I, you know that I'm in violent agreement. Um, are you willing to talk about the case, um, the father-daughter tension? Sure, sure. That, that's recent. That's a good example yeah. of emotion. Um, making it higher. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the mistake many family businesses make, and in our community, Barry Goodman is an expert on this. He, let, he, let me let me t- just, can you, you just draw, draw a rough picture for what went on? Um, because you and I know, but I want to make sure that everyone's following along. So what went on is this. I know the owner of a business. It's a $34 million revenue business. And because I'm talking about the father-daughter, I'm going to be a little vague on the type Please. of business. Mm-hmm. And that way we don't identify because it's kind of private information. And five, six years ago, um, the owner and I sat down for a short period of time. It wasn't a long-term project, just to talk about a few things. And you could see that he was torn whether he should bring his daughter in or not. And he uh, knew she had the technical skills to be a leader. Mm-hmm. She had been a high-level consultant in the consulting business. She knew her stuff, MBA, but he said she's a little difficult to deal with. That's my daughter, but a little difficult, he said. And sure enough, he brings her in, and it didn't take long for those issues to arise, and he, uh, they parted mutually. Mm-hmm. Two years ago, he brought her back at a higher level role, really to, as he hits his late 60s, to really have a succession plan, no better, right? You think you're, than your daughter. Sure. Uh, it did not work out. People, good people, top management people were leaving because uh, she did not have the emotional intelligence and capability to lead others. Culture clash, right? Yeah. It clash. And eventually he realized he had to let his own daughter go. And that's recent. This is just four weeks ago. And it's devastating him personally. Yeah. and his family and it is now legally has to work out because she's a part owner of the business mm-hmm. so she was let go as president of the business although she still has part ownership and so you could see when we make hiring mistakes especially when it relates to the family and i've seen this before but not as big as this you have to really be sure you're making the right move not only for the business but for the family as well yeah yeah, there's a little sidebar here. You know, we see people hiring and we, we you know, guys, we hear cases, uh, all sorts of cases. And uh, you see people hiring, um, you know, hiring someone they really want to get their hands on. 
and the even with you know these larger these you know solidly middle market 20 30 million dollar businesses the ceo says tell you what larry i'm going to hire you and uh i want to make sure that you're you know your feet are nailed to the floor that you're here you're motivated you want to contribute to our success i'm going to give you a uh, 10% equity in the business and they slide the shares across the table and i know some of you are, you know are that that happens all the time and once you've slid that those shares across the table they're gone and so if you think about how this your case played out larry how this other case i'm thinking of you know what happens if that person doesn't work out you know hire as carefully as you want i mean this is the guy's own daughter when it doesn't work out now you have and you've had to let them go now let's get emotion involved because now you have event potentially a vengeful former employee who is also sitting at the uh you know who's on who's on your cap table and uh you know is sitting as a shareholder with all the rights and obligations thereof right and, yeah i won't i won't yeah. digress into uh how to avoid that but that that can be avoided and done in a very very positive way that in fact protects cash flow but, uh, but that's a giant digression um you know the comments there man yeah George, uh I don't remember who told me this years ago. Great advice. And it's helped me in my coaching that many business owners think they're doing the right thing by bringing in family members. Mm -hmm. Because why, why not use the profits to support family? Makes sense, right? You, and you hire them because they need a job and they need a career. Mm -hmm. It feels like the right thing to do. And it actually leads often to more mistakes in that decision than not. And what you're doing is hurting the business and the best way is to hire regardless of family or not hire the best people to grow the business profitably and increase its value because in the end you will be able to better provide for your family than if you hire them and hold the business back that's a that's a tough thing to teach and i have one a different business in healthcare where uh the uh, owner, she built it to well over $30 million in revenue. And she did make some mistakes along the way, hiring family members who had no skill set to be in the role. Mm -hmm. Now she has learned from that lesson. She's had to let them go. Yeah. And now well, and that's right. Isn't that one of the toughest conversations we have to have with the, uh, with when we sometimes come into a case and it's not a conversation we can have on the first day, unless prompted by the client, but is, you know, the, the people who got you here might not be able to get you there. And the person we brought you brought in as a part-time bookkeeper who, you know, over time you've given promotions, raises, and now you've you've put the label of CFO on, may not be actually a CFO. We see that, you know, I'm not going to pick on the finance role, but we see that type of right. We see that time and again. And uh and and being emotionally, you know, well, you know, well, Bob has been here for you know, Bob has been here for 17 years. We can't fire Bob. Let's well, is Bob is Bob going to be able to get you from where we are to double the size of the business? And if Bob isn't, find a role for Bob or figure out how to take care of Bob. You know, it doesn't mean Bob's a bad person. You know how businesses, you've seen this, right? Larry, you want to talk about businesses plateauing with this leadership issue? And this is your expertise. Yeah, I'll give you an example right now. I have a client that just when I was starting with them a few years ago, uh, the uh, CEO named just about everyone on the management team chief. Once you name everyone chief, there's no no room above. You put them in the corner office, in essence, and there is no room for error. 
you can't go ahead if you kept them as VP or even senior VP, you had an opportunity if it didn't work out to then maybe bring someone above them. But here they're stuck and they have one of the chiefs who really is not even, uh, I would say, a, a vice president material, more director, content, subject matter, expert, superb, but not a leader. And mm -hmm. they're stuck. So we've created a solution because they really want him around from his content export, his content expertise. So the solution is we built a team approach to leading the function. And I'll be with them next week, actually. And that that team approach he bought into because it took the pressure off of him because he recognized eventually he doesn't really have the leadership chops to be leading a, at a chief level, a whole mm -hmm. function. So by now having a team approach, he gets to bring that expertise and we bring in other people to really help lead and we subdivided roles and responsibilities around that. You know, you know, it's interesting, Larry. So let's kick this idea around. I'm, I'm a big believer that people should get dignity from their job, right? You should know that you're doing a good job um, in line with where you want to go aspirationally, right? You have to be ambitious um, and that you're getting paid fairly, that you're getting paid what the market will bear. Um, and you're getting paid similarly to your with people with the same accountabilities or the same level of accountability inside the business. If 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 not, people toxicity it's toxic. But so can, can we just let's just kick around the concept of dignity because it sounds like this guy was able to actually um, gain dignity from saying, you know what, I'm very good at you know this is what I'm very good at, and by not having these other accountabilities, I actually can shine. Um, does that does that make sense? Does that resonate with you? The concept does. And in, in, in the case, to be specific, in this one case, I don't know yet. That's a okay. good question. I haven't really uncovered that. But you're right. Dignity is is a really a great word, uh, George, to be a component of culture mm -hmm. and work. Dignity goes into how we treat people. Yes. And one of the keys in management, and we forget this sometimes, is role definition. And it's right out of, right, it's right out of senior leadership questions in the Clarity uh, uh, One and the Clarity Deeper Dive. Deeper dive is yeah. around role definition, management role definition, employee staff role definition. Mm -hmm. And when people go to work, and this is one of the big things as a litmus test, I bring to my clients and say, hey, think about this. How, what percent of your staff could go to work every morning and say the following? This is the work I do. This is why it's important. Mm -hmm. This is how I get it done. Mm -hmm. This is the role I play in that work to help the company. Yeah. The, I, I, I gain respect from that, from a company I respect. I'm recognized and rewarded to my satisfaction. I might even have a career opportunity and I respect my direct manager for how he or she treats me and trains me. If yeah. everyone could go to work every morning to say that you'd have a fabulous company. And that is a part of what you're saying, George, that's dignity too. Yeah, to absolutely. And, and, and I would add to that. And I apologize if you just said this, but knowing the definition of a job well done, and I and I know that I was supposed to do 17 widgets 
and I did 18 widgets. And so I did, I really did a good job today and I can go home satisfied, not freaked out about tomorrow. Yeah. That, uh, having worked in some toxic cultures, uh, dignity is, a. it's important. It's important. And to your point, I'm not going to go so far as to say it's the glue in culture, but it is, um, it is very important. And I'm going to, I'm going to do a free form podcast, ladies and gentlemen, about culture, uh, because each of you, everyone listening to this, if you're a business advisor or a CEO, I'm telling you, culture may sound like a voodoo term, but like, you know, Larry, you and I understand it is actually how culture can be created and nurtured. And it is a lot, it's not easy, but it is a lot more approachable um, than you think. And, yes. uh, and a lot of the, and uh, what you just described, a business that has, that can, that whose people have the experience you just described is a business that has a, a very positive, profound, and hyper, I would guess high performing culture because people will go above and beyond. In fact, let's bring it back to the gentleman, uh, we talked about earlier who had to let his daughter go. How do his people, what about, how about his people generally? Cause you've made a couple of. How do his people generally view him? Here, here's what here's a guy who built a business from one million to thirty something million with mm -hmm. no technical business mm -hmm. school knowledge. Yep. He couldn't tell you what a strategy is from a goal, from a tactic, business plan strategy, none of that. You know what he said to me? I I I know what the market needs. We deliver on that, and I make sure I have people who show up every day caring for each other. I show I care for them. He gave, no joke, he gave someone a who needed financially, when they got married, a $25,000 gift. That gentleman's in-laws and parents came up to the business owner and hugged him and said, thank you. You made a difference in our lives. Yeah. And he says, the owner says, my job, my legacy is that people are going to say one day, I made a difference in their lives through this business. That, without going to business school, without having fancy consultants, the guy gets it. And it's all about culture and good business decision-making and risk management. And that's what he's brilliant at without even knowing it. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely love that story. Uh, because he it sounds as though he understands that his you, you treat your stakeholders well and your employees are stakeholders in the business. You treat your suppliers well. You treat your, you know, you pay your bills on time. You, you, you treat your stakeholders well. And if, when you get that, um, you're probably on your way to greatness, right? And this guy yeah. has built a, you know, a 30. I know that in the, you know, compared to a public company, a $35 million business is a, is a real success, man. That is a oh. real success. Yes. Yeah. Produces so. wealth for the family. It's sustainable. And in all those people, the 200 people that work there, they, their lives are better because of that work yeah. they do there. Yeah. And many of them have been there, like you said earlier, for many, many years. In fact, you go back to the California client that we talked about in the case before that really looked yeah. at op operations and, and culture before looking to grow. Uh, they are now at a point where they created an initiative this past year called internal advocacy. So they have a salespeople, right? They have a marketing and stuff, but they realize like a lot of smart businesses that every single person who works there is a stakeholder. Like you said, George mm -hmm. is a stakeholder in the business. 
So they actually then help them be an advocate for the business with friends, family. You, you, you're at a out for dinner with, with somebody. You're, you bump into someone. You're in the community. How do you advocate for the business you work for? It's like a higher order culture. And that's where that company is at. Interesting. So, you know, he's essentially, they have essentially, um, he or she, they have essentially uh, created a bunch of brand. They've made everyone a brand ambassador. It sounds like that's very cool. Um, but well, let's, you know, we've been chatting for a while here and uh, I'd like to just cover two more questions if we could, Larry, you know, one, one is if, can you describe a moment in your career um, that you, consider your greatest success or you think had the most profound impact and, and maybe get into why a little bit? It's a crazy story. I've shared this with others. It has nothing to do with business right now. I was in graduate school and George, I'm not sure if we ever talked about this. So I was in graduate school and I had to make extra money and I installed flooring. So I was trained by a, a someone who ran a crew to install flooring on how mm -hmm. to install sheet vinyl and how to install tiles, final tiles. I didn't do the ceramic. I didn't do that type. Of, they did. So I did the basic stuff. And so we had this sheet vinyl, this big piece of vinyl that had to go down from the kitchen in a circular fashion down the stairs to the basement. And I had no clue how to do it. And I was never trained on how to do it. And the owner said, listen, if you don't mind, I'd like to watch you because I like to uh, I like to putz around in the house and do fix things up. So if you don't mind, I'd like to learn. And I started to sweat because I'd never done it. And I didn't want to show that I didn't know how to do it. So I sat there and I try to remember all that geometry that I once knew and try to figure out how do you cut to create circles by cutting triangles. And it worked. And I was shocked. And it, it, and it did. And he goes, wow, that's a good job. And you know what I learned there in life sometimes, even though we learn how to do things, you got to figure things out in the moment and you got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And that gained me confidence that I could figure stuff out. And so that little story all the way back when I was like 25 years old, uh, informed me when I, times I get tough, Hey, I've done it before. Mm -hmm. I could do it. I just need yeah. to fig, sit down calmly, figure out what the problem really is. Look at different approaches, maybe bring in now in business. I have a team of people I bring in depending on what the situation is. Mm -hmm. Don't rely on myself fully. And we have confidence. We're going to figure it out. And that confidence then, my client feels it. They need that. That trust yeah. is based on that confidence. So You know, it's funny. You, you exude, and I've heard you say a number of times, and this story helps explain it. You, one of your buzzwords is you've got this. They've yeah. got this. Yeah. I've got this. And I think... You know, I don't know if the two are related, but but uh, all of that. That's a great story, man. Yeah. Yep. It's funny how those moments, right? You never know this moment that is happening. You got up that morning, just a normal day, and it's just this this experience that otherwise would be lost. And you're like, you know what? That was one of the biggest life lessons. And we, we all have those. And guys, I want you to think about one that happened to you. Write it down and and, and ponder it um, because they, they can come back and be really useful. Oh, they are. So let's wrap it up with one question. What is one thing that you think advisors, your fellow advisors or and or clients should know? 
Never stop learning. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. The day we stop learning is the day we don't grow and we're not value, valuable to our clients and even ourselves and our family. Never stop learning. Ask, listen, learn, have a, a, a quest in life to keep learning. And, um, and that will help be the foundation for figuring stuff out when it's business, in life, and uh, create uh, valuable connections in the mind that will keep us young forever. Keep yeah. learning. Yeah. Amen. You know, this community, and that was one of our earliest conversations, right, was about community. And this community um, is is full of, we attract lifelong learners. We attract people with, you know, you and I maybe don't have an alphabet behind our names, but a lot of our friends in the community do, you know, 13 letters behind their names. And we are constantly learning. And people, you know, I think people are attracted by our training, by the certification program. Um, and yeah, never stop learning. And uh, to which I'd add, you and I read pretty, pretty widely. There are a lot of, you. this is a liberal arts, life is a liberal arts event, right? You yeah. can learn from from so many sources, poetry, naval history, yeah. you know, sales and marketing books that suddenly you're using. It, it's fascinating. And you can learn from laying flooring. You can learn a life lesson that uh, that, you know, that stays with you f forever. That's I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Never sure. stop learning. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Well, very cool. Larry, I want to say thank you very much. Um, I, we always have fun conversations. We were talking just yesterday. I'm like, man, we should be recording this. This would make a great podcast. Yeah. And um, and, and I appreciate, you know, I appreciate your willingness to be on. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Larry Prince, Prince Leadership, uh, one of the smartest, kindest, wisest guys I know. So appreciate it, man. Thank you. I appreciate you and I appreciate the community you've built. Thanks, George. Thanks, man. Yeah. All right. Good. Ciao for now. You got it. This is George. Thanks. I hope you like this episode. Please subscribe, like, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have two sex, leave a review. It lets the world know what we're doing and it helps us understand if we're delivering value. So thank you very much and we'll see you next time.